0: Welcome to ParentsJourney.net and the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Journey Podcast. This podcast is produced by parents who, like you, are currently or have been involved in this unexpected journey with your child and family. We've had well over a thousand downloads of our podcast so far. The feedback's been fantastic and the community is growing. It's a pretty simple formula. People want to hear from people who've been in their shoes, who can share information They can access on their schedule and listen to gain context and understanding. For those of you who have been listening, engaging, and learning since we first launched the podcast, thank you for your support. We hope we've provided you with valuable information, inspiration, direction, and hope. For those of you who are new listeners, welcome to our community. Get ready for some great stuff here. Feel free to go to our website, www.parentsjourney.net, for more information about upcoming podcasts, articles, and other links to relevant information and resources about our coaching and mentoring programs for parents. It's been exciting that a number of families and educational consultants have reached out to us to support them. That's one of the primary reasons we're doing this. Before we go to our next episode, which I know you want to hear, I do have a request. They are, one, we have a growing Facebook group called Parents' Journey. Please check it out and request an invitation to the group. Two, our primary listeners tune in via Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts for us. And three, please tell others about the podcast. That's how our community continues to learn and grow. Thanks again for your time and interest, and please enjoy the podcast. Hi, this is Andy, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 8 of the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Journey Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Lori. Our last episode was with Suzanne McKinney of Pacific Quest, who told us about wilderness therapy. Pacific Quest's horticultural program is truly unique, and it was really interesting and insightful to hear from her. Parents, please have a listen if you haven't done so already.
0: So moving to today's episode, we're really excited. Um, because we're covering a really important topic. When we were in crisis, we were really focused on our child's well-being and not so concerned about cost. That was until we saw how much it potentially was going to cost
1: us. (laughs) That's right. With a cost of more than $10,000 per month, it's quite expensive. While you don't want to put your finances ahead of your children's well-being, you still have to be able to afford it or find some other way to finance it.
0: Many parents hope their insurance coverage will help bridge that gap. Unfortunately, many are often disappointed as the insurance companies find a way to deem therapy for the child's mental illness as medically unnecessary.
1: Fortunately, we did get some of our costs covered, but it was well short of our overall cost. So today we are truly grateful to connect with Joe Feldman, who was successful to some extent working with one of the claims management providers. But Joe went beyond that and successfully sued his insurance company and won. Yes, he won.
0: Joe's day job is, is an acquisition and growth consultant, but his passion is as a board member of Kennedy Forms, where he advocates for mental health care access. Welcome to the show, Joe.
2: Hi, Andy, Laurie, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and, and thanks for the opportunity to, to spend some time talking with you and your, and your listeners.
1: Great to have you today, Joe. Let's start off the way we usually do, which is to ask you a little bit about your background and, and you know, what brought you to where we are today.
2: Sure. Well, again, thanks for, um, thanks for hosting me. So I, um, I'm here today uh, through a series of, um, uh, of life experiences that I could have never predicted, uh, our daughter had quite a rough spell uh, during high school. Uh, it had been building for a long, long time. And at a certain moment, uh, I'll say oversimplify, my wife and I um, came to the conclusion that uh, things were just not, uh, things were not getting better. And it was, uh, I think my wife said, uh, it was all sort of above our pay grade. We were just not finding the right tools and the right care for our for our daughter. And we really thought that her life was in danger. Um, So working with her, uh, with her psychiatrist, we connected with a, an educational consultant, uh, which is a term many of your listeners may know. It's the craziest euphemism for someone who helps you find wilderness therapy or residential treatment care. And our educational consultant helped us to, uh, to place our daughter in, uh, in a wilderness program, followed by a series of other programs that, after after a long time, uh, led to her uh, being in the situation she's in today. Which is now about uh, five or six years later. She's um, uh, in college, living with a roommate uh, out of town, and, and doing doing really well. Um, but I think the reason I'm here is that uh, along the way, um, uh, Lori, as you uh, alluded to earlier. Uh, we were super focused on getting the, the care that our daughter needed. Um, and just after she left for wilderness, I happened to have breakfast with a friend of mine. Uh, his daughter had had some problems of her own. Uh, and so he was a little bit ahead of the curve uh, for me. And he said, by the way, you know, Joe, your insurance company is not gonna be helpful here. They're not gonna pay for anything. You're gonna have to fight. It was the first time I'd even thought about the subject and it turned out that this this friend of mine was was absolutely right so it uh, that's what led me uh on a path to uh to making sure that we had the opportunity to to as i like to say we we got the insurance coverage that we had paid for
0: excellent and and since then because you've been focused on uh e- e- as we introduced, you actually won a case against the insurance company and now we're involved in a, in a group that promotes mental health awareness called the Kennedy form. So that, that success led you to be involved as an advocate here.
2: Right, right. So, uh, so after this friend, uh, I'll say tipped me off to the insurance uh, challenge, uh, he connected me with one of the, uh, one of the organizations that, uh, that does a lot of work with, uh, claims, um, uh, I'll say claims collection. A firm called Denials Management in Salt Lake City. Uh, we had a good experience with them. They're certainly not the only one, but they're the only one that we worked with. Um, and through the course of um, uh, of their uh, their support for us, we filed uh, we filed claims. Um, they, I'll say, knew how to to do that uh, in a way that was in keeping with what the insurance company required. Uh, they asked us for all the relevant questions that they they thought were going to be important to the claim. Uh, sort of fast forwarding through, we filed appeals that were required as part of our insurance coverage. So we filed these um, these appeals that were uh, you know really extraordinarily detailed. Um, they looked more like lawsuits. Um, certainly, they were documents way beyond what I uh, what I could have uh, done on my own. And all the way through, they said. Um, you know, we're hopeful that you're going to get paid based on the appeal. Uh, But they also said, um, it's not a sure thing. And if it, if it comes to pass, that's great. If it turns out that you don't get paid, this documentation is going to be useful to you to be able to determine whether or not you have a basis for a lawsuit. Um, Which um, I'll say from a uh, a project management standpoint made an awful lot of sense to me. So we were sort of paving the way for, um, you know, for a bigger fight, you could say, than uh, than just filing an administrative appeal. Uh, in fact, our denials, our, our appeals were denied. Um, we got a, a very brief, very perfunctory form that said, we reviewed your appeal and we reject it. Uh, it provided really no useful information about the basis for their decision. It just said no. Um, and that's, that's one thing that uh, um, I would say characterizes way too many insurance companies is that they say no, and they find that uh, most people just accept no for an answer. Um, it was uh, after, after that that uh, uh, I reached out to several different uh, litigators who have a special experience in this area. Um, and we ended up selecting a firm here in Chicago That is one of a relatively small number of firms in the country that really understands these sorts of mental health care claims, and they know—I'll say—they know the tricks that the insurance companies use to deny claims, and they know the uh, the the different uh, strategies from a from a litigation standpoint that are most likely to be successful in um, in pursuing a case. Um, It was um, it was through that activity. I was, um, we were about, uh, I'd say, two-thirds of the way to our ju- to the judgment that we ultimately um, got that, uh, that resulted in the insurance company paying what they should have paid in the first place. Um, and I happened to have a conversation with that same friend who had told me uh, over breakfast that day, um, you know, that uh, my insurance company was not going to be helpful. I was giving him an update and told him that uh, I was... Sort of cautiously optimistic that the lawsuit might go our way, um, and he said to me, "You know, you really should talk to Patrick Kennedy. Uh, he might be very interested in in what you're doing." And I knew a little bit about Patrick Kennedy, uh, and so I said to my friend, "Sure, that of course I should go talk to Patrick Kennedy. How how am I supposed to go do that?" And he said, uh, "He said, well, I, I know Patrick. I'm going to introduce you." And and so he he connected me with Patrick. Uh, Patrick and I exchanged emails. We ended up having lunch together here in Chicago when he was out for a a meeting. And he and I sat together at lunch, the two of us, and we told each other our stories. Uh, He talked to me about all the challenges that he had personally dealing with uh, mental health challenges, with addiction um, disorder challenges, and what he did when he was a congressman to pass the Mental Health Care Parity Act. Um, which uh, which I can talk about a little bit more later, if you like. But basically, he said, um, you know, what you're doing with this lawsuit, which was at that point still probably nine months away from a judgment, he said, just people don't do that. People don't take no, people don't, um, they don't act. They just take no for an answer, um, not because they're afraid, really, but because it's really hard. And he said, it sounds like, uh, you know, it sounds like you've put a good, you know, good team together. And uh, sounds like you're doing the right, you know, the right thing and good luck. And I said, well, that, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to win the lawsuit, but how else can I help you? And he said, you know, you should come to a meeting or two and maybe figure out how to get involved with our, our organization. And we'd, uh, you know, if you, if you show up and get involved a little bit, we'll figure out how to best um, that we can work together.
0: Awesome, thank you for more detail. Relating to that, and, and kind of your your journey in terms of what brought you to the Kennedy Forum, and and uh, and and the ins- the whole insurance uh, issue itself. I know parents are really interested in that. Can can you just describe to me, um, getting into some of the meat of our discussion? Wh- why is it that the insurance coverage process is so difficult for families with children in wilderness therapy and residential treatment? I mean, is it? Are they meant to or are insurance companies set up not to want to pay or 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 you know because it's an expensive thing or is the process just so challenging to get through that it makes it harder what 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 did you learn from from that in terms of why insurance companies aren't more advocates for this type of scenario
2: yeah you know i think it's um i th- i think it's a pretty complicated Uh, a complicated question, and I'm not sure that I really know the full answer. I think part of it, you know, part of the answer is that for a long, long time, and even still today, um, mental health and and addiction challenges have a tremendous amount of stigma. So people don't like to talk about it. Um, People don't, you know, people that work for companies where they may have health care, you know, are probably disinclined to go to their To their human resource department and say, you know, I don't think the insurance company is treating this right. Um, You know, there's a a certain amount of um, of privacy and maybe even a certain amount of shame associated with it. And so that I think um, probably worked in the favor of the insurance company that who who might be disinclined uh, to cover expenses. I think another factor is that uh, mental health care challenges can be a lot more difficult to evaluate than physical healthcare challenges. That's so a with, really good point. So with cancer, with, uh, with heart disease, uh, with a broken leg, um, it's relatively clear what the diagnosis is, what the treatment is, what the follow-up might be, and what, um, you know, what the, I'll say, the overall package of medication, time in the hospital, anesthesia all those things they're relatively easy to understand and probably even by zip code you can identify exactly what the cost should be and the insurance company can specify you know what they pay in the case of anxiety depression anxiety and depression anxiety depression and um, and substance use it becomes a lot trickier and in the case of of um, I'll say teens that end up Having psychiatrists recommend uh, wilderness therapy, um, you know these, you know these teens, you know might be best characterized, at least not the way I think about it, as sort of all of the above boys and girls. They have many of these, you know, many of these challenges. I mean, when, when our daughter left wilderness, we went out to the uh, to her last day uh, for this sort of goodbye ceremony, and we sat around a campfire out in the uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And we went around the circle, and everyone was prompted to say why they're there. So, of course, my wife and I said that we were there because our daughter was finishing her time in wilderness. And then, as we went around the circle, all the all the other girls who were there rattled off a list of five or six or more reasons why they were there. Um, you know, that's hard from a from an insurance company's perspective to say. This is the diagnosis. This is the treatment. These are the costs associated with it. So, it's created enough of a, uh, I'll say, uncertainty and challenge, that insurance companies, um, and here maybe I'll be a little bit cynical, uh, can just say no, right. say you know it's not, you know those those expenses are not covered. They weren't properly preauthorized. They're not in the policy. Um, they. Um, Uh, They're not medically necessary, uh, or they can just say, uh, you know, we're just, we're not paying.
1: And, you know, I'm going to add a little something there, and that is that at least, maybe more so with the females and the males, they have an incredible ability to hide their problems. You know, I found that most people on the outside saw our daughter as fine, doing great, and it was very easy for her to go to a psychologist appointment or a psychiatry appointment even and budget and everybody fell for it. And we didn't have anyone who knew about, we didn't have any professionals who even knew about this ecosystem at mean, all.
0: Meaning to get it covered.
1: Yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know, you're not going to find a psychiatrist who's going to, not you're not going to but we didn't find a psychiatrist who had a real sense of of what was going on with her to the point where it would have actually been in any medical notes that this was that we were in crisis so that she was in crisis she had a great way of uh, ability to cover things up and um so yeah and it's not as clear-cut as a broken bone you're you know you're right on the money there
0: so let's get into the meat of all this um you wrote a um uh an amazing um Um, blog that is on the Kennedy Forum um, website, and we'll provide a link in the the notes of this podcast, but it's called 10 Steps to Securing Insurance Coverage for Mental Health Care. And there are a couple that were really stand out to me out of the 10, and we're going to touch on all 10 and take maybe five or 10 minutes to go through the 10. But one is making sure you have a medical necessity letter um, so that you actually have something from the get-go where you actually can um, identify a necessity and you're not trying to get it in the end. The second thing is really good note keeping and record keeping. And the third thing is really knowing your rights. Those were three out of the 10 that I thought were like really, really important. And frankly, I don't think we did a great job of any of those. (laughs) And we relied on, you know, and and so I wish we had this when we were going through it. So hopefully this will be helpful to parents. Um, and Joe, I'll let you talk. And and literally, you know, if you could spend, you know, thirty thirty to forty five seconds on each one, uh, to give the to give parents an idea. And obviously, they, they can read through it themselves. But but I'd love to get your perspective on each of the ten.
2: Sure. Well, let me um, let me try to hit the hit the high points here, and maybe uh, maybe spend a, a few extra seconds on the ones that you mentioned, which I think really are the most critical. Uh, So the the first step, I say, is get a copy of your complete insurance policy. Uh, In our case, it took me over a year to get that policy. I would get the summaries, but the summaries don't have the information that you need. You need the entire policy. It can be 50 or 100 pages. You should get the whole thing so that you can look in it and see what is included there for mental health care. Um, The second one, which you alluded to, is is to get a medical necessity letter. So this is, um, this is really crucial um, in my experience. Uh, and, and in our case, it made all the difference in the world in our lawsuit. So um, you know I mentioned before that Patrick Kennedy's legislative achievement when he was in Congress was this mental health care parity Act. Um, you know at a high level, that act says, insurers must treat mental health the same way they treat physical health. Um, by the way, insurance companies haven't exactly gotten the memo on that. They don't treat mental health and physical health the same way. And one of the ways in which they really um, uh, get around the Parity Act, in my opinion, is by saying, well, that care is not medically necessary. So we look at physical health and mental health, we evaluate for medical necessity, and yours isn't. Um, The point here is that if you're um, uh, if your son or daughter has uh has reached a, reached a crisis where wilderness is necessary, that physician is in the best position to know what the diagnosis is, what the assessment is um and what treatment is required and really that's the essence of a medical necessity letter It's for the physician in a very crisp way, so um I'd say a page would be all that's necessary. A doctor would write a letter. Uh, It can be to the parents, uh, sort of uh, to whom it may concern, that says, I'm Dr. Dr. Feldman. This is my experience. I've seen this patient for X period of time. This is my assessment of their condition. And this is my determination of the care that is medically necessary. Signed, Dr. So-and-so. That's it. That's a tool that can be used with insurance claims. It can be filed with, um, with a with a claim. It can be kept in your pocket for when a claim might be denied. It can be used in the case of uh, of litigation. it's It is, I think, potentially the most crucial piece of evidence that that a parent uh, can get that says, "I'm doing the right thing. I'm accessing the right care." I'm doing it under the guidance of a clinician and an insurance company that says that care is not medically necessary. They just, they're wrong. They do not have the data. They do not have the assessment that that clinician has. It's really, it's that simple.
1: Does that have to be before the child leaves for treatment or can it be when they've just left for treatment already?
2: You know, I think it, um, I don't think there's any, um, any one requirement. Um, I think as a I think, realistically, that's something that's probably going to happen after the child's left for treatment. Um, I think before that time, the chances of a parent figuring out that there's a website that says this is a good idea is just not going to be their first priority. Um, I think it's more likely to happen later. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: Is that when you got yours?
2: I got mine probably, I bet it was 18 or 24 months after our daughter left. Oh wow! It, it was it was a long, long time, and I'll tell you I'll tell you how it came to be. Is we were um, we were going through the appeals process, and I was pulling together evidence of all the conversations I had had with the insurance company, which is one of the other points you raised. Was taking really, really good notes, and and I realized that I did not have um, I, I didn't have um, information that I could give. To, uh, to go into the appeal from the clinician who at the end of the day had the crucial information. So I contacted our daughter's psychiatrist. I explained what I was looking for. And he said, happy to do it. You wrote a letter that fit on one piece of paper and it went in with the appeal.
0: Excellent, thanks for that. Okay, so let's, let's move on to number three.
2: So number three is to consider asking a family member or a friend for help. So everything I've described so far with this medical necessity letter, and we'll talk a little bit in in step five about taking detailed notes. I mean, this is work. It's hard. And when you're uh, trying to figure out which end is up and are you doing the right thing for your son or daughter and, and for yourselves, by the way, you know, taking care of yourselves along the way, you know, dealing with a project called Get my insurance claims right. You know, it just might not be. Uh, you may not be the right person to do that. Um, uh, it could be that it's just too confusing. It's too much work. Uh, it's a project that you just can't can't handle, or can't handle at this very moment. Um, and so my thought here is, there's going to be people along the way who are close to you, who have, who, who whose confidence, uh, you know, who in whom you have a lot of confidence, who might say. You know, gosh, if there's anything I can do to help you along the way, please tell me, and I'll be happy to help. And it's, it's so this the step three is the cue to say to that person, yes, you can help me with my insurance, and I I I need the help there. That's the idea, of uh, step three asking for help.
0: Now let me ask you about that. Sometimes when you're working through the insurance, they require that the claimant be the voice, right, in terms of being able to speak to the insurance company or Do anything like that. So when you talk about having a third party do it, they're helping and taking that burden off of you when the parents going through all that stress. But what is it that they can accomplish?
2: So, so with either a power of attorney or with uh, an authorization form that an insurance company uh, will provide on request. uh, I don't want to say it's on their website because uh, that may or may not be. Um, That sort of You know appointing someone to be your deputy um, is something that's easily done it doesn't take away your authority in any way it just gives someone else the same rights that you have to have conversations with the insurance company
0: very good okay on to number four
2: so number four is um basically to to be sure that if there are claims that are being filed by you know, by a clinician or by a wilderness therapy or by a residential treatment center, uh, if they file directly with the insurance company and 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 sometimes that happens uh, to be sure that you are getting copies of all their documentation and to be sure that they're telling you what they're hearing. Um, that's just a, it's another important data point along the way, and they may get they may get um, uh, a tip off. That a denial is in the works, so they may hear something, and so it's just it's just really important to to let them know that you want to be actively involved in and um, uh, in aware of the dialogue that they may be having with insurance companies.
0: Okay, number five, take detailed notes. So this
2: this I think um, like I would I would put this um, on par with a medical necessity letter as. One of the most important um, uh, uh, recommendations for care? So, in the course of filing claims, of following up on claims, of um, asking where this where a claim is or why a denial has been um, uh, been issued, uh, you may be interacting with customer service people at the insurance company. Um, and the recommendation is, when you have that, those conversations, which is perfectly fair to have, uh, you don't have to do everything in writing, um, find out who you're talking to, get their name, ask for their ID number. Um, uh, the ID number and the name and the date and time of the call will be valuable evidence that the conversation actually happened. Write down everything they say. Uh, ask them lots of questions. Um, I'll say admit nothing. So it's like being, you know, treat it as uh, and I don't, I don't mean this, this to be scary, but treat it as like you're, you're the lawyer in a courtroom asking questions and not offering anything. Why is this claim been denied? What is the status? When will I hear back from you? And write it all down. Um, it's, um, that, this, it, it can be work, um, but it can be really crucial information. Um, and I'll give you one example of how it turned out to be absolutely crucial in our case. The uh, during the during the the trial at the beginning, we were going through the what they call the discovery process, where the two sides exchange documents, which is a typical thing in you know, a in a in a lawsuit I've come to learn. And they asked me for documentation of any contact that I had with with the the insurance company, and what the subject of the conversation was. And then they asked, and this was almost mind-boggling to me, they asked me to prove that I knew that I was actually talking with somebody from the insurance company. And so I was, in a way, their worst nightmare because I was able to give them, in every single case, a name and an ID number and a a location, everything. And I had pages and pages of notes to be able to say, I talked with all these people on all these days, they told me that I would hear from them in a week. I called them in a week and asked where it was, they told me it'd be another week and I could spell it all out for them. And it, 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 was, it, it was important because it, it documented a pattern of, you know, I would say bureaucratic silliness um, that, uh, you know, that was problematic. So that's, the, the, that's a, a really important one is taking good notes.
0: Great. Uh, On to
2: number six. Six, leave clinical questions to the clinicians. So I remember, so this one's pretty simple. If you're talking to the insurance company and they say, and they ask you a a sympathetic question like, how's your daughter doing? Just say, um, you know, she's getting the care she needs. Don't say she's making progress. Don't say she's not making progress. Just say she's getting the care she needs.
0: So don't give them fodder to hold against you.
2: Correct. Thank you for your interest. I'll leave that to the doctors.
0: Okay, that was simple.
2: Wow.
0: Watch out for red flags, number seven.
2: So in, the, in this 10 steps document that uh, you know, the folks can download, you'll see some, uh, some, I'll say typical denials. Some of these I saw myself, some of them I've heard from, from talking to others. Uh, treatment was, wasn't pre-authorized. So pre-authorization, generally speaking, is not required. It's it's not a basis for denial. Uh, It's not included in your policy. So insurers are especially trying to avoid paying for wilderness therapy these days. Um, And some policies even say, does not cover wilderness therapy. Don't assume that that is a legal exclusion. Um, They can limit the number of appointments in a way that is gratuitous. So there are other... um, there are some other examples that are given, but the idea is keep an eye out for the words they're using and just keep track of them. Um, and those, those may be useful in an appeal or maybe even in a lawsuit, or maybe even just in a conversation with the insurer. Why, what was the basis of your saying that the care was not medically necessary? And then you listen. What was the basis for saying it's not in the policy? Please tell me exactly the provision that you're referring to. And, and I would say in almost every case, they will not know how to answer that question. And then you can say, so are, so just to I? I'm understanding, you don't know where in the policy it says that it's not covered. Is that correct?
0: Wow. Okay. So there's a, there's a list that people can go through when they see the agreement, but the, when they see your paper, but there are a number of red flags that when you get denied, they might not hold water and you have to know that. Correct. Okay.
1: Number
2: eight. Number eight is to know your rights. So I can tell you for sure when I got started, I had no idea that this mental health care parity law even existed. Uh, it uh, It was only when I met Patrick Kennedy and he said, if you want, why don't you come to Washington? We're having a little celebration of the 10th anniversary of this law. So I had no idea this law was even there. Uh, many states are passing their own laws that are complementary to the federal law, and uh, on a state-by-state basis, um, there is legislation and regulation that is supportive of mental health care access. Um, you can find more information about this on a, a website that uh, that's run by the Kennedy Forum called uh, Don'tDenyMe.org, and they'll they'll have there's information there by every for every individual state about what the laws are in that state that give, you, um, that give you hopefully confidence that in fact the claims that you are um, making to the insurance company ought to be paid. Uh,
1: number nine. So number
2: nine is to, to be aware that there are insurance advocates and litigators that are out there. Uh, so I mentioned the one that, uh, that we had worked with out in, in uh, Salt Lake City, Denials Management. Uh, there are a number of others uh, around the country. Um, uh, you can look uh, on the Kennedy Forum website, and there there are references to other uh, other organizations. Um, there's a, re- a relatively small number of litigators. If if a case has to go, um, you know, has to go to litigation, um, the point is there are some resources that are available and that might be helpful to you along the way, um, and you should. Uh, you know, certainly take advantage of those, um, which, which really leads into the last step, which is remember you're not alone. And, and, and I just want to say that Andy and Lori are part of this concept of you are not alone. Um, you know, when our daughter left for wilderness, we felt incredibly alone. Um, we loved our educational consultants and, and some of the resources that she eventually exposed us to but it really took time for us to realize there are a lot of people out there who have expertise that, um, that they can bring to you, who have experience that they can bring to you, you know, frankly, who have been where you are and can commiserate with you about you know, whether it's insurance or just having a child in treatment. Um, and those are resources that can, at least I, I, I like to think can help many, many people uh, to know that this is, um, you know, you're not the first one to go through uh, a path like this. You're the first one in, uh, you know, maybe in, in your world, but uh, um, uh, there's plenty of people that you can reach out to and learn from. Um, and I think there's an awful lot of, uh, awful lot of value in that.
0: You're so right. I mean, that's the whole purpose of parents journey. Yeah. Frankly, as we felt so alone too, and every turn we took, we had to find new resources and new information. Uh, and frankly, I wish we had...
1: <laughs> wish we'd known about this. <laughs> wish we
0: knew about this a while back, uh, for sure. Um, so uh, thanks so much for going through that. So such great information Incredible. for parents, um, especially those, you know, anybody who, who thinks that they should be covered regardless of their financial situation. Um,
1: Joe, so is there a difference between when you file for claims with your insurance company for wilderness versus residential treatment centers, aftercare, therapeutic boarding schools? You know, the later programs are they are they treated differently?
2: So I think I think inevitably they are treated differently. I think um, uh, it's going to depend on the insurance companies and their policy. Um, You know, I think medical necessity is. I'll say more straightforward, if that's possible, for wilderness and for residential treatment. Um, Therapeutic boarding schools become more complex because you've got multiple components that are not related to the medical diagnosis, like the school part. So we found that with with a therapeutic boarding school, uh, coverage for the the therapeutic part of the activity um, was easier to cover. Um, It was also much smaller. So, candidly, that was a, a bit of a disappointment, um, but the, I think this, the principles apply of medical necessity is something that, that a physician uh, or, or some other clinician uh, ought to opine on, um, and um, I think it's fair to say that, that it's in the parent's interest also that the level of care is it's what's required and not above and beyond. Uh, therapeutic boarding school is sort of a tough one because I mean we didn't intend us to, to have our daughter go to go to a boarding school, so we ended up having to pay for that part of the of the package um, and that wasn't going to be covered by uh, by insurance so it's it's going to be a mixed it's going be a mixed bag
1: because
0: mm, okay. you've got the therapy part and the housing part and the other parts right yeah. correct okay correct. Can you tell us a little bit about the Kennedy Forum a little bit more and your involvement with the Kennedy Forum, please,
2: Joe? Sure, sure. So Kennedy Forum was started by Patrick Kennedy after he left Congress. And the the goal of Kennedy Forum is to to be an advocate for mental health care access, destigmatization, and insurance coverage. Um, the, uh, The idea is that working with other mental health care organizations other addiction uh, related organizations uh, both on a national basis and on a state and and local basis that we can make a difference in helping people get access to the health care to the mental health care that they need so this involves uh, conversations in at least in my in my experience conversations with legislators and staffers in Washington um, in Chicago and in Springfield. I've had a chance to, to meet with, uh, with my, my family's representatives in Congress and in the state house. Um, you know, having a chance to, to write, write the blog post that we talked about during, uh, the earlier part of the, of, of the conversation is another, you know, another part of the, I'll say advocacy that I'm able to participate in. Um, and I think, you know, one of the, I think really remarkable, um, uh, things that the Kennedy Forum has done over the last several months with the the COVID uh, virus, they have been um, really front and center in um, in assuring that um, uh, telehealth access to mental health care is covered the same as in-office face-to-face uh, care.
0: Wow! Because yeah. Because at the end sure. of,
2: because at the end of the day, the care that you're getting is the care that some physician or some other clinician has made a determination is necessary for you. And if that care is provided and is satisfactory on a telehealth basis, then that should be covered by the insurance company. So they've wow. been very, they've been very active uh, uh, with that. I had, uh, um, you know, a chance to see that up close and personal uh, the day that uh, the governor of Illinois issued a proclamation saying that mental health care delivered by telehealth is covered and the Kennedy forum's, uh, advocates were, were right in the middle of that conversation and getting that, uh, getting that work done.
0: Great. Well, thank you for doing that. And and we'll have the links to the Kennedy forum as well as, uh, other information again, in the notes of the podcast. And there's certainly a lot, uh, a, a lot of information you can peruse, uh, to be able to find your rights, find, uh, uh, someone who can help you, uh, in this space and just, different articles and other things is, uh, and it's great, Joe, that you're involved in that on the, on the front front
2: lines.
1: How can, um, our listeners reach you, Joe?
2: So, uh, so the best way to, to reach me and, and I, I certainly welcome contact is, um, at, uh, at my email address, joe.insurance.parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y
1: at gmail.com. Great. Great. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I mean, the amount of information that you shared today is going to be so helpful to our to our parents. And Lord knows, I wish we had had all this information at the time we were going through it. But we are very, very grateful that you shared your knowledge and expertise with us today.
0: The next episode, we'll be speaking with Rob Gent, who's the chief clinical officer of Embark. Uh, he has really great detailed information about Uh, all they have to offer across 18 different facilities that they run and the unique therapies that they provide. You won't want to miss this.
1: Until then, please take care of your children and continue to empower yourself with information at Parents Journey.